This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 168 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. On this week's pod, Georgia State football now knows their full schedule for 2023 and head coach Sean Elliott will have to make a staff replacement he hasn't had to make since taking over the program. We'll tell you all about it, plus set the stage for Sunbelt Basketball Tournament in Pensacola and get out our brooms to talk about the Bustle Up Boys sweep of Brown on the baseball diamond. But first, in football, defensive coordinator Nate Fuquay accepts outside linebackers coach job at Cincinnati. Fuquay has been the defensive coordinator at Georgia State for Coach Elliott's entire time in charge in Atlanta since 2017. The Panthers finished with a top-half Sunbelt defense using points per game just once in his time running the defense, but the defense broke the school record for sacks and tackles for loss in consecutive seasons in 2020 and 2021. Inside linebackers coach Brian Landis has temporarily taken over Fuquay's coordinator duties for the remainder of the spring, and a search is expected to commence to hire a new full-time coordinator uh, shortly. So gentlemen, thoughts about uh, Coach Fuquay leaving for Cincinnati? It was a really strange set of events because like 30 minutes before the news on Fuquay broke, the news broke that Brad Glenn was leaving Virginia Tech to also go to Cincinnati to be the offensive coordinator. And so it was like a real big influx of former Georgia State staffers going to the same place. Uh, and once I got past that, it's, you, it really did hit me. It's like, wow, there hasn't been another defensive coordinator since 2017. And, you know, even just past that, Jesse Minner was there the entire time Trent Miles was head coach. Like, Georgia State has not had much change at the defensive coordinator position over its short history. Uh, and I think this is a, a mixed situation. I'm sure there are some people that are not too unhappy to see Fuquay leave. I know that he was definitely a polarizing figure in the fan base. I will say that there's two things that I look at on the other side of things where, one, the timing of this is definitely not great. You're really hoping to avoid not having another coordinator leave in the middle of spring practice like happened last year. And two, I do think he's done a really nice job identifying and developing outside linebackers, you know, the likes of Jordan Strawn, Jamil Muhammad. And so whoever comes in and replaces him as DC might not necessarily have that sort of eye and that ability to develop those pass rushers off the edge. And you you can't take that for granted and... I certainly you look at that as a track record of why Cincinnati wanted him to go do that for them as the outside linebackers coach for Cincinnati. It's a really funny situation um, because I don't know of a coach or coordinator just off the top of my head who is as both fairly and unfairly criticized as Fuquay um, because like, okay, if you look at the raw numbers for Georgia State in his time here, they've had a top 50 defense, I think, once in 2017. And that was a really, I mean, that was a really good defense. <laughs> but as we talked about it in each of the last three years, especially with, you know, certain sites, they don't rank every single score the same way that, like, actually watching all of the games, you know, actually watching all the games and seeing what happens so for example you know you'll go on like espn and they'll say oh you know you gave up two punt return touchdowns well that means your defense is they gave up that means your defense gave up 14 points it's like well no the defense didn't give up 14 points that's not how that works (laughs) they weren't even on the field you know um and i think there has been so much good 
that Coach Fuquay brought to Georgia State that it's hard for me to really get upset with just some of the sheer numbers. Like, yes, there have been bad defenses in his time here, both, you know, not getting sacks, not, you know, pressuring the quarterback at all, not getting interceptions, not getting fumbles, um, just giving up a lot of yards, guys out of position, you know. But it would be impossible to say that there was no growth. It would be impossible to say that things didn't turn around. Um, And, you know, one thing that I think needs to be repeated, what you said, Brady, is man can coach the D-line. Like, dude knew how to put together a pass rush. Um, Like, those Georgia State sack numbers did not come by accident. Like, yes, obviously those, uh, you know, the athletes on the field were the ones who were getting after quarterbacks and, you know, they were the ones facing those offensive line. But like, we all have varying experiences with Georgia State football. And the last, even this year when it wasn't as good as it's been the last couple of years before that, like the way that Georgia State is in relation to getting after quarterbacks is, I, I don't even know if I have a starker, opposite description than night and day from what it used to be you know i mean we're talking about a school that used to struggle to get like eight 12 sacks a year you know something like that and now i mean nowadays if they're not in the you know low 20s it's a disappointing year you know what i mean so it's it's a completely different culture in that one respect and i think you really have to give him a lot of the credit for that Yeah, ticked up in turnover production as well and getting those plays. And I think the the issue was any stretches of games where the sacks weren't piling up or they weren't getting those extra turnovers and those game-changing plays, the defense struggled more. And I mean, that's with any defense, but you definitely saw it as just black and white as that. Like when the pass rush wasn't getting there and where they were unable to consistently get pressure without blitzing, the defense language a little bit and it's definitely true that 2017 which in the interest of fairness of context was not his recruits it was jesse minner's recruits for the most part on that defense was a good year i'd say good portions of 2020 and 2021 were decent especially in the back half of 2021 and the rest of it was a little bit mixed and so i think you could definitely look at this as an opportunity to bring someone in who maybe can get a little more consistency from the defense, but I do see the things that were going well. And, you know, in a vacuum, getting after the quarterback and forcing turnovers is a way to have a defense that can win you some football games. And when this team has been good the last couple of years, we certainly saw that. And when they weren't able to be doing that, the results with the wins and losses struggled a little bit also. So, you know, I definitely understand some of the people who are not unhappy to see him go. I definitely think it is an opportunity to bring in a new voice and see what they can bring because we know that they still have at least a host of those guys up front that are coming back. Obviously, you have to replace Jamil. You have to replace Thomas Gore. And at the back end, you have to replace Antavius Lane, Quay White, Jalen Jones. So those are question marks that would have remained for Fuquay heading into his seventh year as DC, or it would have been and will now be questions for a new defensive coordinator to kind of plug those gaps and continue to develop. But I think the defense from just a philosophy standpoint of what they've tried to bring in and recruit, you've seen them hone in on the guys they want. And so, you know, I think it is a defense as long as some of these guys they brought in in this recruiting class as transfers can contribute right away. 
with the right voice at the front, could see a better defense in 2023. And I'm definitely interested to see what direction this coordinator search goes in. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think we've talked offline about a couple of different names, and uh, I don't know. person named Nate. Yes. (laughs) I don't know if that's something that we specifically want to get into here, but I will say the defensive side of the ball is the easiest side of the ball that will determine, you know, just kind of where Georgia State is next year. Um, Only because, like, like they've had good offenses. And, like, yeah, you know what? They might not have been as successful running the ball – This year, he says, as they led the conference in rushing. Um, But, you know, there are certain things that we've seen and expect out of the offense that happened even before, um, you know, Coach Elliott got here. Like, I think Georgia State is no longer a team that struggles to put some kind of offense on the field. It's just a matter of what level of good or, you know, elite, if you have, if you will, that it will be. So it's going to really be telling if they do get a good voice on defense and, if that level of production that we've seen in the years prior to 2022 does return. Yeah. I mean, Georgia state has had, I would say great offenses a couple of times, at least in their history, 2019 comes to mind. Georgia state hasn't really ever had a great defense. And I I've made this point before that you have to be great on both sides of the ball to win a Sunbelt championship, which is ultimately their goal as a program, as a next step, obviously, That feels a little bit far-fetched at this point in time, but you still need to have that. And so I would be interested if a person can come in to maybe find that for the first time. And not to mention, going to be kind of an important year. Like if the defensive coordinator hire goes wrong and it's not anyone who's making the defense better and it's a losing record, they might be a one-year defensive coordinator at Georgia State along with the rest of the staff not being here anymore. Like we know that four and eight, one year is one thing, but then if, if you go in a slump two years in a row, it's a whole different conversation. Uh, so it's definitely going to be one they've got to get right. There's some comfortable names that Coach Elliott knows that is where my head is at with this search. Uh, Nate Woody, who was at App State as defensive coordinator, was actually Nate Fuquay's, I guess, mentor, so to say, because it's the same system, and he was the defensive coordinator at Wofford before he went to App State. Um, the other name that's been bandied about that kind of makes sense, Lorenzo Ward, who is the DC at South Carolina when Coach Elliott was there as the position coach, currently at uh, Chattanooga as the defensive coordinator for former Panther assistant coach Rusty Wright. So I feel like those are the two that I'd have circled as, you know, if you could get Nate Woody, I don't know how interested he is. He's currently at Army. I don't know that he's looking to get another job because. Nominally, I think the difference between Army and Georgia State isn't massive right now, and you'd have to move and all that that entails. So unless he really wants back in the Southeast, I don't know. So Ward makes sense because you can at least offer that Chattanooga's an FCS program, Georgia State's in Atlanta, in the FBS, in a good league. So there's at least something that you could offer there as a, hey, we can give you this that you don't currently have. And so that those are the kind of where I am at. I don't know that that's where it's going to end up, but, and I'm, you know, part of why I'm, I'm not just saying that it'd be one of these people that coach Elliott has this familiarity with because it's the spring and it's a sudden hire that he's having to make. It's also because we've seen in the recent track record that he does like going to these uh, coaches that he's got some prior relationship with, or that have, you know, 
Nate Woody, I don't know that he ever overlapped with him, but he was at App State and he worked with Sat. And so even as Satterfield has hiring away his coaches, if he asked him about Nate Woody, Satterfield would be like, oh yeah, no, he's great. You should hire him if he can come there. So it is a little bit of maybe that it's they're going to want to get this hire in quick, but I think that also lines up with that. He probably has a, a couple of names in mind and it's not necessarily, I'm not expecting it to be like this random out of left field hire. I think it'll be kind of the names you can think of for this DC position. So too. And you know, the, I guess the last thing that I want to say on the subject is, can we stop with the spring like hirings? Like obviously go, you know, the answer is no, because yeah. <laughs> the carousel it waits for no one at this point. It just, it's Clearly. later and later and there's hiring you know, and I, I remembered seeing that position get opened up because it was Troy hired the defensive coordinator. It was Greg Gasparato, who was the outside linebackers coach that Sat was going to bring in at Cincinnati. So it was a guy who hadn't even really started in his new job, getting hired to a better job. And that opened up the position that Fuquay is now going to fill. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's kind of the new normal. And I guess it is the one thing where it's like if you are winning a lot of games, it probably is less likely likely that you're going to have this happen a ton, but it's really bitten Georgia State two off seasons in a row. Yeah, and like, you know, I, I can't speak for everybody, obviously, but we last year was the offensive coordinator in spring. This year is the defensive coordinator in spring. So like if they make a head coach change next year, for whatever reason, don't have it be in February, <laughs> be like everybody else and have it be in like December or January. I'm begging. Yeah. I don't want to, whatever's going on. That's going to have a head coach getting removed in the middle of a spring practice. I don't want to be involved in that story at all. So I'm with you there. Exactly. Like just, just be, just be like everybody else, please. No matriculation. Be on the forefront of it. All right. And let's at least set the bar here. If we if there's a, a defensive coordinator hired, let's not have to hire a second one in the same offseason. Let's if there's a guy comes in, let's not have another like at least ended at one this time. Yeah, I'm down with that. Like have it be a home run hire and just, you know, nobody else thinks so, but it obviously work out. Like nobody, nobody is else trying have to a poach. job opening. Exactly. There you guys is. are everyone else is cut off. And in other news for football, the full schedule release has come early. Traditionally, Sunbelt releases uh, the full football schedules on the 1st of March, but we got it earlier this week. And we're going to take a look at that now. Of course, uh, highlights of the schedule, three Thursday games, including two on national TV at Coastal and at Georgia Southern. Homecoming will be the Marshall game at home on October 14th. And Senior Day will again be two weeks early on the final home game versus Appalachian State on November 11th. So once again, Panthers end the season on the road uh, on November 18th at LSU and then November 25th at Old Dominion. Gentlemen, thoughts? It's not a great schedule. Um, and even if we were optimistic about Georgia State, um, I think Georgia State is gonna has a good opportunity to turn around what's been ailing them um, the last couple of years, and like especially last year as it relates to, um, you know, not finishing strong in games and just not playing a consistent four quarters. Um, where do I think their record is? Haven't kind of landed on that, and I don't know that the schedule really helps them. Um, it's playing Georgia Southern on a Thursday, going to be weird. Um, you got Coastal on a short week again. Um, and that, you know, that's coming off of being 
going on the road to face Charlotte. Um, I think the only real saving grace is the out-of-conference schedule. I mean, you know, they do play a, far, a Power 5 school this year, but it's at the end of November. Oh, my gosh. They do play a Power 5 school this year, but it's at the end of November. Um, you know, we've talked about how facing, like, playing up to their opponents early in the season might have helped them, and then last year, you know, was kind of a year that it didn't really work out that way, so... I don't know, maybe this will be a year where having that sort of game later on in the season is better for them. Um, but, I mean, it's an important early stretch of the season because it's it's tough all, all up and down the schedule. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I look at the schedule as it, like, we now know and think any differently than I thought before we had dates and times as far as, like, it is hard. Like, that is definitely true. It's a gauntlet. It's going to be one every year. And so I don't know what version of the schedule the opponents that we knew ahead of this release was going to be like, oh, this schedule's fine. Like, I think that is just the reality. And so I think that you look at a couple of things that work out where I think the buy is at a reasonably good place. It's after the first five games. It's right after you play Troy, before you play Marshall, both at home. So you get kind of a real extended stretch there where you're staying in Atlanta. You're getting to rest up between what might be two tough games with some defenses that want to come in and bruise you. I think it's nice that they're going to have two national games. Not great that neither of them are at home, but you sort of take what you get with that. And I guess the other side of things, it's definitely not great that both of the Thursday games are coming after road games, as you mentioned. Like it isn't just the Charlotte uh, to Coastal in Saturday to Thursday. You go from Louisiana on October 21st to Statesboro on October 26th and so that's not great and I do think it is unfortunate that once again second straight year exact same thing where you finish with two road games so your senior day is way earlier and just you got to finish on the road like that Um, obviously we knew about the LSU game being that week so it was kind of be going to be about when the season ended who that was going to be against and I think it's unfortunate but Again, another positive for me is you look at it and it's just segmented into six blocks of two where it's two home games, two road games, two home games, two road games, two home. And there's never a long home stretch, but there's also never more than a two game road trip. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think for the sake of like consistency, that's good. You know, I think last year, I believe they had like a a three and three, something like that, where they were on the road three straight years, excuse me, three straight weeks. And then they were at home three straight weeks at at some point during the season. And I mean, that's tough. It's tough when you have, you know, stretches like that in your season. Um, I will say part of what makes the schedule tough is just kind of the perceived level of the opponents. Um, I think there is a very realistic chance that Georgia state could go three, and zero and out of conference and have confidence going into Sunbelt play. You know, your first game is at coastal um, like you mentioned, but anything can happen in September. And that's kind of where, you know, the good teams kind of make their bacon as they head deeper and deeper into the schedule. You know, you get a surprise when, early in October, late September against the conference opponent, and then just kind of ride that confidence. And if we're talking about a three and O Georgia state team that has to go to Myrtle beach and, you know, play fast and loose. Like I think anything can happen, but 
Yeah, it's not great. Not great on the outset of it. Yeah, I mean, I guess I would just say, I don't know that we know what this Coastal team is going to look like with a new coach. Obviously, McCall is back, and they've got some guys coming back. They lost some other key players like Josiah Stewart, who transferred to Michigan. So that game, I feel like there's going to be perception of like Coastal is this king because they've won the East, and they've been a very good team the last couple of years. I'm still unsure exactly what they're going to look like in 2023. And so, and besides the, uh, the road team has never lost in that series. So Georgia state's got the leg up just for that sheer. It's just, it's canon now. It's just always going to keep happening. And uh, the last thing that I would say about this is I know that every time we get around to app state week, the same general, just Georgia state angst about that whole series comes up. And, you know, not having beaten them. And so now it's going to be senior day. And you can look at that as the negative because it's a team you've never beaten and you'd like to win on senior day. But now it's going to be like an extra, you know, it's going to make it feel that bit sweeter if this is the year they make it happen for those seniors who have waited multiple years through some tough losses. And, you know, there, there's your spin on that one. I'm also a subscriber to the spin zone, so I'll take it. I'll take it. I hope this is the year. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to basketball. The regular season has mercifully come to an end with an 0-2 week, leaving Georgia State 10-20 and in its first season under Jonas Hayes. The losses to Appalachian State and James Madison confirmed the Panthers' spot at the bottom in this week's 14-team Sunbelt tournament in Pensacola. So, gentlemen, thoughts about those two games? Let's uh, spend not that much time talking about those two games is my thoughts on those two games. Gladly. And like, I, I will say something um, that includes those two games and includes this upcoming Sunbelt game uh, that I, you know, maybe a lot of people won't like, and that's fine with me. Uh, we can start judging Coach Hayes now. I think there's this idea that every time a school gets a new coach, they're just going to come in and, you know, it's going to be like, oh, everything's totally fine. And kind of it'll ignore just where there were some issues. Let's be honest. If Coach Lanier didn't go to SMU this year, there's a very real chance that Georgia State looks to be in a worse position than they were last year. I can't say that it would be this bad, and it is bad. I'm not I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's not great. But there were so many minutes and points that Georgia State lost to, due to graduations, due to transfers, you know, coming into this season. A significant step back was not necessarily a surprise. Um and now I think, you know, obviously we like to be optimistic here on the Thursday night podcast. Um, but at the same time, though, I think, you know, Brady, you and myself have identified some really nice pieces going into next year when we can actually start looking at to, OK, how is Coach Hayes as a coach? You know, it's been less of a transition year. He's got another full off season to kind of do what he wants to do and figure this out. You know, where, what are some things that are strengths? What are some things that are weaknesses and how do they go back to being a Sunbelt contender? Um, which is a very long and fancy way of saying that the two games this week were terrible. <laughs> the first half against James Madison on Friday was like a view into like when things are going well, they had to lead at the break. 
They sh- they made 50% of their threes. They were getting good looks, and so it wasn't really accidental. And they were playing some good defense. They got a little bit of shot luck where James Madison was missing some shots they shouldn't have been missing, but that's how the game of basketball goes sometimes. Second half of that game, very much and very immediately went sideways, and you could really say both halves against App were that way. Uh, App made 14 of 21 threes. Uh, at a certain point, they weren't even good looks. It was just that Mantis just got absolutely he. It was like a layup for him. And then right at the start of the game, C.J. Huntley, who is a 30% three-point shooter on the season, hit four for four to start. He didn't take another one, I think, until the second half, and he only took one more. But it kind of set the tone that they just started finding their spots on the floor. And Jonas said something to this effect as well, but I don't think that Georgia State was doing enough of a job making them uncomfortable defensively, which hasn't really been the problem all that much but in the games where it has been a problem it's been like that like it's the Marshall game it's that those two games this week and you know the defense didn't give him a chance and it is the most discouraging I'd say set of games that have happened maybe even more than that road trip because at least then you looked at it as Dewan's out Colin Moore is just getting back from injury this was everyone was back and kind of gelling pretty decently and everything went real pear-shaped and in ways that feel like it's about effort and feel like it's about want to and feel like it is workable. Like in the games, the Georgia State has just missed a bunch of shots and they've been playing hard and the shots aren't falling. That you can point to is like, all right, you got to get some more guys in there that can make these shots. You know, you can work on that. The games where you're just letting teams kind of get whatever shots they want for extended stretches. I don't think that has to do with talent. And so I understand and I agree that this week of games, discouraging set of results and outcomes. And, you know, so as we look towards the Sunbelt tournament, I'm not expecting the run. I think I've at least said that once, if not a couple of times over the last couple of podcasts, but I want to see a return to that where say you beat Texas state in the first round and you play ODU probably don't give you a great chance of winning that game. But if that's a set of two games that feel more like a team that's fighting for it, I feel like you'd be in a much as good a position as you can be given the way the season has gone. Not saying you're going to suddenly feel great about things. It's going to come down to a lot of stuff in the off season. But I think that the biggest thing that Georgia state needs both as a fan base, as a team, whatever is a game or two in Pensacola that, leaves a better taste in everyone's mouth because that was not the way you wanted to end the regular season. It wasn't. And, you know, I, I'll call, I'm not going to call my shot in the sense that I am predicting anything, but let's say Georgia state gets to Saturday. They upset Texas state. They upset old dominion and they're just playing basketball on Saturday. That's, that's a successful trip to P- Pensacola to me. And I think a lot of people will forget about how unfortunate this past season has been for Georgia State. I really do, you know. And I, at least I think for a couple the, of days. Yes, at least for a couple of days. I think the uh, frustration with this season, too, is I don't know that in terms of true talent that Old Dominion is nine wins better than Georgia State. They were in the standings. 
you know, and uh, you know, I, I don't want to say that to take anything away from them because I don't want to take anything away from them. They won the games that they needed to. Georgia State did not. I don't think they are nine games better than Georgia State. I don't think Texas State is I mean Texas State is only three games better than Georgia State. Like I I don't think either of those two teams are you know, it's not like they're facing Marshall. It's not like they're facing, you know, Southern Miss or anything like that in those first two rounds, obviously. So I think, you know, come away with the win and people people will retract some of the claws a little bit and just give some good vibes to this basketball fan base who I, <laughs> I struggle saying that because they have been very uh, spoiled isn't the right word. They have been very blessed the last like six to seven some odd years. And this, this is the first decade. Yeah, yeah, honestly, the last decade in basketball, um, it it has certainly been greener, and that you know this is something that many Panther fans have not experienced with a team before. Um, so this specifically with the basketball team, um, so yeah, get 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 some good vibes returning. You know, they got a new stadium that you can't you can't sit there and have bad vibes with the new stadium. Like that's that's sacrilegious. So yeah, the game with Texas State Tuesday night at eight thirty, or probably going to be a little bit later because those games always overrun in the Sun Belt tournament on the one court. Uh, it's an interesting thing because it's Texas State and Georgia State have not played since February of twenty twenty. That is just the way the schedules worked out. They weren't on the schedule this year. Um, and the other thing is, this is a something's got to give game in the sense that Georgia State has not won a game outside of the Convocation Center this season. Texas State has not won a game since the tournament moved to Pensacola. So something's got to give in this game. One of those weird streaks that each of the fan bases is going to love to have go away will end after the final game on Tuesday. And we'll just have to see how it shakes out. I think it's fair to characterize Georgia State and Texas State as the co-disappointments of this Sunbelt basketball season because they are the ones that are the furthest from their preseason projections in the negative way. So it feels almost fitting that one of their seasons is going to end playing the other one. And I don't really know what take to have going into this game because, you know, if we're talking about the Georgia state team that just played this past week, Texas state will walk them off the court. Like that's as they were playing, especially at the defensive end, Texas State's not a great offensive team, but it wouldn't matter if that is what uh, transpires on the court in the uh, Pensacola base center. Now, if Georgia State is playing more like they were in some of these losses against, you know, the likes of Marshall and Southern Miss, where they were playing better and just got a little bit out talented, I think they have a chance of beating Texas State. And I don't think it's far fetched, but it's going to be about what this time off has meant, how they have used it, and, you know, if they're just ready to start the offseason or not. Also, the women are in the Sunbelt tournament as a 12 seed, serving as a home team in the tournament opener against 13 seed South Alabama, playing at 12.30 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday, the day that you're listening to this. Like with the men's side, the winner will face Old Dominion, the five seed, at 3 p.m. on Wednesday. And the Panthers won the only matchup between these two teams in conference play, a 66-57 to win in Atlanta on January 5th. So, gentlemen, thoughts on the women's team going into the tournament? Well... The thing about Georgia State women's basketball in the Sunbelt tournament is Georgia State women's basketball has not won a game in the Sunbelt tournament since they have re-entered the conference. And I feel like that says enough about just that it's not, the program has not gotten to the level that you'd want it to. And it just, 
if you aren't winning any postseason games, you're obviously not making any kind of postseason waves. And, you know, in saying all of that, they are the better seed in this matchup. They beat the team. Granted, it was at home, but they did win the only time they played. And so as you're looking to at least, you know, the the one positive for that little black mark of not having won a tournament game yet in a decade in a conference is that if they go out there and beat a team they've already done once and advance, even if that's all they do in this tournament, that would feel like progress. And so I think it's kind of a good opportunity for them. It's a team that they beat. It's a team that has not gotten to double digit wins on the season. So, you know, I think that would be not necessarily like a world changing, encouraging event, but I think the opportunity is there. And I think that, you know, again, kind of like with the men's side, it would just kind of recoup some good feeling at the end of the year, even if it doesn't manifest in a huge run, because yeah, as we know, the teams at the top of this conference are very good on the women's basketball side. They're very tough, and they always have been. Um, I think, you know, a team like Troy has always just been just dominant in women's basketball in the Sun Belt. Um, but, you know, bringing it home, I think you're right. I think finding a way to end that ridiculous conference tournament streak is just of utmost importance, and, you know, same way with the football team, same way with the men's basketball team, just finding what you can and building off of that heading into next year. You know, there's nothing wrong with having progress. There's nothing wrong with, you know, things being a quote unquote rebuilding year or whatever. Um, I think the way that things stand this year, obviously, you know, you wanted to see a little bit more growth, but just, just start with one step, start with, you know, winning a tournament game against, like you said, Brady, a team that you've beaten already this year, a team that you more or less should be better than, um, and just just go from there. Like that'll be that'll go a long way to getting the women where they need to be. All right, let's go ahead and move on. And talk about baseball, who had a four zero weekend against Brown, notching eleven to three, ten to four, ten to one, and six to five wins in the four games. This sweep gives the Panthers a five and three record in twenty twenty three. Next up, the team's first road trips of the season, a Tuesday game at Alabama State, and a weekend series at Presbyterian. Gentlemen, thoughts on the Buslot boys? They will hit bombs. That was true last year. It is true <laughs> again this year, as we have already learned. They certainly will hit bombs. You know, anytime you have nine home runs in a four-game stretch, like, you bombs away. And, you know, I think that we looked at this and said – a sweep is not only achievable, but will feel like a real, the, the best of the outcomes that you could get. And three and one even wouldn't feel nearly as good because it was a team playing their first series of the year, whereas you had already had a weekend under your belt. Based on how they had played and how you had played in 2022, you felt like it was a team you're better than and you were hosting them. So for all those reasons, I think you just chalk it up as a success. You move forward. And, you know, I guess the other thing is that Coach Stromdahl talked about, all right, we want to solidify some of these starting pitching roles in the early going in these early weeks. I think you're seeing, yeah, Ryan Watson can lock down the Friday starter slot. You know, Cameron Landry has put up some good innings. He, uh, in the Saturday spot, um, Mason Patel, uh, I ran into a little bit of trouble in Sunday's game against Brown. He gave up some runs, would have been up for the loss if, if not for the comeback. Uh, the go-ahead three-run home run by Dylan Strickland in the bottom of the eighth of that game. But 
a lot of the innings there were good. It just got a little bit out of hand there at the end and a lot of strikeouts as well. 80 Ks in 65 innings so far for the pitching staff. You know, missing bats is the best way to be sure that you are not uh, giving up runs. And the pitching staff has thrown half the number of walks, 25, uh, that the uh, the hitters have drawn, 50. So all things good there. I don't know that those rates will keep up when you're playing teams uh, that are a little bit better, especially in the conference, but you love getting a little bit of confidence in this series and racking up some wins and getting back above 500. Yeah, I think you nailed it. Um, I don't know what level of sustainability we'll see with this team, but those are the recipes for winning baseball games, you know, limiting the walks you allow, getting on base, hitting, you know, the occasional dinger as they have been known to do. Um, and just stringing good at bats together. And that was the thing that you, you know, you kind of mentioned in that Cincinnati series that they didn't do really well. They'd get guys on, but they just couldn't get them home. And, you know, this weekend they didn't have that problem. Um, anytime you're scoring double digits in three straight games, like thing, regardless of how many home runs you're hitting, like things are going well for you in a way that you hope can continue when you're facing better teams. So, you know, love the approach from the, offense love that the pitching found a way to keep brown off the scoreboard for the most part it was a good weekend good weekend and now it kind of lines up well we're now you're going on a first road trip and so you're just gonna try and replicate all that's gone well this past weekend in not the co- friendly confines of the jsu baseball complex and so I, I think it's a good time for the first midweek game of the year against alabama state and then getting in the grind of things, going place and playing three games over the course of a weekend this week. It's Presbyterian. I think it's, it's four definitely winnable games. Again, if you find a way to get three of four, get a winning record would be a nice step of progress because as we've talked about with this baseball team last year, the bigger issue they had was that they were putting up a lot of wins at home and just struggling in road series. So this would be their first opportunity to kind of get on the right track, winning on the road, because it's the same in any sport. Good teams can win at home. Great teams are the ones who can consistently win on the road. And so this will be attempts one through four, being able to start that momentum in 2023. So that's just about all we have for you uh, this week on the Thursday night podcast. Uh, But here's a quick programming note. We'll be back later this week if the results in Pensacola dictate an emergency pod. But if they don't, you'll hear from us again next week as we put a bow on basketball season. And of course, before we get you out of here this week, we do have upcoming athletic events in Georgia State to discuss. We have, of course, today as of the release of this podcast, a whole slew of events, women's golf playing in the Chapuncta Invitational in Covington, Louisiana, women's basketball, of course, playing South Alabama here at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time in the Sun Belt Conference Championship, women's tennis traveling to Kennesaw State at 2, baseball at Alabama State at 6, softball at Alabama State also at 6, and then, of course, the men playing Texas State in the first round of the Sun Belt Tournament at 8.30 p.m. And then the rest of this week, Wednesday, Thursday, we got nothing going on except potential next round Sun Belt Tournament games for basketball. And then Friday, Beach Volleyball travels to Tampa, Florida for the Tampa Invitational, where they'll play Grand Canyon at 8 a.m. and Stetson at noon. Softball hosts Brown in Atlanta for the I-75 Challenge at 1 p.m. at the Bob Heck Softball Complex. Men's tennis travels to Birmingham to face UAB at 1 p.m. Women's tennis travels to Alabama State at 2 p.m. Softball hosts another game versus Brown 
at 3 p.m. And baseball plays at Presbyterian in Clinton, South Carolina at 4. On Saturday, beach volleyball continues in the Tampa Invitational, playing TCU at 10 a.m. And then at 2 p.m., they'll play Florida Gulf Coast. Uh, softball hosts Northern Iowa in two games in the I-75 Challenge at the Bob Heck Softball Complex at noon and 2 p.m., respectively. Baseball plays at Presbyterian in Clinton, South Carolina at 2 p.m. as well. And then on Sunday, men's golf travels to Opelika, Alabama for the Tiger Invitational. That's going to be an all-day event. Baseball plays their third game versus Presbyterian in Clinton, South Carolina at 1. Men's tennis hosting Kennesaw State and Atlanta at 2. And then on Monday and Tuesday, men's golf continues the Tiger Invitational. And then also on Tuesday, baseball hosts Kennesaw State in Atlanta at 4 p.m. And then on Wednesday next week, that's right, we got eight days of forecast for you this week. Sand Volleyball hosts the Day of Duels, hosting Coastal Carolina, Florida State, and Mercer at 8 a.m., 4 p.m., and 6 p.m., respectively. And then softball travels up to Athens to face UGA at 6 p.m. And that's all we've got for the next upcoming week in Georgia State Athletics. Of course, we'll have all of the coverage over on Panther Talk for the men's tournament game and baseball upcoming this week. So keep it locked over there. Brady will have you taken care of in that regard. And we'll see you in the next episode, whether that is later this week, pending some uh, good tournament results, or next week, pending some not-so-good tournament results. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Have a great week, and go Panthers!